You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I'm starting a new series this morning. I kind of, I was talking with um, Dan and Steve and the other pastors, and I just said, you know, I, I think we've all had a tough couple of years. <laughs> I think... You know, some of you are back after COVID, and we're glad to see you back and glad you've been hanging with us online, but it's, it's nice to have the kids come home. You know, isn't it great, those of you that are older, that that kind of connects with you? But uh, we've had a tough couple of years, and I just think whether a person's a follower of Jesus or not in our world, it's been a challenge, and I think we're, we're as I look around, I kind of look at my own heart and listen to conversations, that kind of thing. I think, you know, we're cranky and tired and worn out and spiritually dry and frustrated and just, we're just kind of, you know, whatever that good word, yucky, and just all the stuff that we've been battling life. And and that's only one layer that's common to all of us and add in all the other things. And so we're taking a little bit of a break as we head into Easter. And I just said, I I feel like we just, we need a spiritual tune-up. You know, we just, we need that. When your car's timing's not quite right, and it's just kind of like, what is that funky clunk? And what is that weird thing that's going on? It's like, oh, you know, it's time to take it into the shop and, and get it worked on. So that's kind of what this little four or five week series is about as we head to Easter to just kind of say, folks, let's step back for a second and let's, uh, let's just really allow God to kind of work into our hearts and into our life and just speak to us in the middle of, of where we are. And so that's my, my prayer. This morning, I want to talk to you specifically about living with hope, about what it means to really trust God day in and day out with your life. So turn to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17. I can't remember the last time I preached out of Jeremiah. Uh, you might have to look it up or uh, whatever's on your phone. It's kind of to the right of Psalms and to the left of Matthew. So if you kind of find the middle, you know, and find the beginning of the New Testament, it's in the middle in there somewhere. But Jeremiah chapter 17, and we're going to just hit different passages over the next few weeks, and we're going to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit and to, to, to live that life with God in, in our lives. But this morning, uh, Jeremiah is talking to us about what it really means, about the blessings of what it means to trust God in life, and really the cursings of what it means when we don't. So read with me. Jeremiah 17, verse, verse 5. I wish I always had more I wish we could say, and more that I wish we could read, but that's what life groups are for and everything else when we meet uh, during those. So read verse 5 with me. The Bible says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man or the one who trusts in man or mankind and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Whenever we trust anything other than God, our heart turns away from God, always. He is like, in verse 6, He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You know, when you take your car in to get worked on, the mechanic hooks it up. The mechanics these days, not in the old days, 
I know very little about automotive work. I try to learn what minimal I have to learn in many areas of life, and that is one of them. That's why God made mechanics, and I'm grateful for those of you that are mechanics. You take care of people like me. But when you go in, the mechanic hooks it up to the computer, and it reads you know, what's going on. It reads the whole system and all that. It's probably not unlike modern medicine. You, know, you do blood work, and you run various tests to see what's going on in your body, to see what's kind of under the hood and, uh, and just kind of see what those issues might be. And so this morning, as we kind of have gone into the, you know, go into the mechanic, what we're talking about is what it means to trust God in our life. You cannot live a, an abundant life in this world without a deep and abiding trust and walk with God day in and day out through the, the thick and the thin. Jeremiah is writing to the people of Israel. The enemy is knocking at the door. They're threatening to, to come in and, and conquer the land. And with that comes famine and poverty and death and all of the things. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And God is speaking to Israel saying, hey, You've got two paths in front of you. You can either trust me or you can trust everything else. Like we talked a little bit last week, you know, there's two different operating systems. There's either the operating system that the enemy has overwritten into this world and it's full of lies and we can go down that path or we can pursue God and what he's done through Jesus Christ on the cross and the truth and what that is, there's two paths. As soon as we read Genesis 1-1 when the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, what that means is there's God and there's everything else. So we either serve God or we serve everything else or something else. We either love God or we love something or, some, or everything else. We either you know, bow down to Him or else or we trust Him and we trust everything else. So there's two paths and Jeremiah is making it very clear that each one of us have those two paths in front of us. At every given moment, are we going to trust God or are we going to trust ourselves? Are we going to look to God or are we going to look to other resources in our life and everything? I don't care whether it's our career, our work, our family, even our salvation. It begins there, really. But in every, our kids, our relationships, everything, we face that path. Now, there's something that's interesting. We have a lot of words that we talk about in, in, in church that are good things. We, we talk a lot about faith. And belief is, is that faith as well because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It, he died on the cross for our sins and He rose again. And that's where, the, that's where our hope is found. That's another word that we talk about. But we also talk about what it means to trust the Lord, to put our hope in the Lord, to, to commit ourselves to Him, to accept Him. When the Bible talks about this word trust, I won't go into the details and all of that. I'm kind of tempted to, to be real honest, but we don't have time for it. But when the Bible talks about this word trust, this isn't the same word as faith. I don't want you to see these equal. There's not an equal sign in between these two concepts. When the Bible tells us that we need to, to surrender our life to Jesus, it uses that word faith and believe. It's a committing of our soul and our, our self to Him that Jesus is our paid our sin debt, that our only hope is in His, His salvation that He worked on the cross. This word trust, I want you to see it, is more what happens after we experience that. It's more the life of trust of what it means as we pursue God in every day in our life, not so much to believe in Him to save us from our sins, but it's how we should operate in our life that we trust Him. 
This word is, at its core, it means that we look to Him and we find our security and our peace in Him. In fact, when the the Old Testament was translated into Greek about 2,200 years ago, so there are a couple hundred years before Jesus lived, those of you that were in the life of Jesus, life of Christ class, you will remember that we talked a little bit about that. The word that it used to translate this word trust into the Bible that Jesus would have been familiar with in that day was the word hope. So this trust is the idea that we put and commit into our well-being and our security in God, and it produces hope. It produces a confidence. It produces a security in our life as we go about and as we live our life in every day. So I want to share with you just three things of what it means uh, as we kind of unpack this. My real hope this morning is, is kind of like when you go in and your air conditioner doesn't work so well, that day is coming. Woohoo! When it's 60-something degrees in March, it's like, wow, I don't ever remember doing that. We washed our cars like, well, this is a new thing, you know, crazy. So when you, if this, we hit 80 degrees and you're driving wherever, wherever you are, and you're like, this is hot in here. What's wrong with this air conditioner? You probably need to take it in. It probably just needs to be recharged, right? You know, it needs the coolant checked out or whatever. My hope is that our trust volume. Our trust factor goes up this morning. So we're going to talk about the blessings of trusting God, putting our hope in Him. We're going to talk about the evidences of that, what that looks like in our life, and the obstacles to it. Now, obviously, if God says we should trust Him, it's what not only what is the right thing to do, but it's also because it's the thing we struggle to do in every area of life. So let's just keep it honest We can all be good Christians and dress up and look good and pray and all of that, but we struggle when the rubber hits the road, when we're sitting in the classroom, when we're at work and we're driving down the road and we're dealing with our kids or family life, and it's tough in those moments. So the blessings of what it means to trust God. I want you to notice that first off, that when we don't trust Him, it's not blessings, but it's cursings. In verse 5, I mean, just blunt. Cursed is the man. Cursed is the person who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. We are categorically cursed when we trust in our own resources. We are categorically cursed when we trust in the resources of what somebody else can provide in life. Very black and white, very clear. And the reason why is is because in that moment, we are turning away from God and we are turning toward, bowing down to, serving, trusting, putting our confidence and hope in something other than God. God finds that actually very offensive. It's much like we talked last week about the enemy being a slanderer. That's what the word devil means. It means that he is a slanderer of God. He did it from the very beginning in Genesis. He said, has God really said you would die if you eat of that tree. Well, God, you can't listen to God. He just wants you. He, he knows if you do that, you're going to be like him. And he's kind of an insecure, kind of a, you know, he slandered him. When you and I turn our heart from trusting God to trusting more in ourselves, what we can see, what we hope for, what we're working for, we're doing that exact same thing as what the enemy's doing. We're saying, God, you're not powerful enough for me on this one. God, I got this. You don't. God, you're not 
everywhere to help me. I, God, you're really not trustworthy. I've got to rely on something else in my life. God, we, we turn our back on God. So we are cursed because it defames the very character and nature of our God, and God pays attention to that. Folks, God always honors and rewards faith and trust, those things in Him. And when we step out of that circle, when we step out of that sphere of safety, if you will, we step into the sphere of cursing and we, we, because we turn our back on Him and we're relying on everything else in this world. That's, that's why we're cursed. We turn our back on God and we, we trust whatever else is out there. And whenever we do that, it's really dumb. <laughs> It's very unwise. It's, it's not smart. I'm in front of my house, some of those of you that have been there before COVID and all of that, we, we have kind of a, you know, it's a drainage ditch along the road. And, and to the right, it seems like for the, I don't know, however many acres, everything drains through my yard into that corner. It's actually becoming kind of a problem. We have now cattails growing along, you know, the, along there. If you know what a cattail is, just kind of a tall, I don't know, just it's cattails. You Google it. You give my permission, pull out your phone. If you use a QR code, I will not be upset if you just, I should have put a picture up there for cattail, but I didn't. Cattails, if you lean on them, they blow in the wind, and they will just snap right off. You don't want to put your weight on them. They can't hold you. They're weak, insufficient. If you're going to lean against something, find a, an oak tree. Find a a brick building, find a post to lean against. When you and I trust any of those things around us, what happens is it's like us leaning on a cattail. We think it's going to hold us up, and we put all of our weight on it, and it doesn't, and we're shocked when it falls over. And then where cattails grow, it's smelly, it's stinky, it's muddy, it's wet, and you face plant right into it, and you get up, and you're just like, what in the world? I thought that was going to hold me. And truth be known is we were the ones that were foolish trusting in something or someone else other than God to be our solution. We're cursed whenever we do that. And we are good at doing it, even those of us who have trusted in Christ and have a relationship with Him who know better, we still struggle with that and we lean on it. So we're cursed with that. But the Bible says, oh, <laughs> And let me tell you what our soul looks like. I can't go by this. So look what happens for us in the middle of that. Verse 6, we are like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. We are like the ones that dwell in a parched place in the wilderness. Think, usually when the Bible talks wilderness, you need to think desert. Think dry. Think nothing that lives out there in an uninhabited salt land where salt has just killed everything off. That's a picture of our soul. That's us it's talking about. That's not talking about our, our bank account, what happens to it when we trust that to something else other than God. This is talking about us. We are like this because we become dry spiritually. Our soul begins to shrivel up. Have you ever looked at plants that grow in the desert? They're stunted. They're short. They're prickly. They, you know, whatever little moisture, the reason cacti have, have that, that is a word, by the way. Not, that's not cactus this is, it's cacti. The little prickle thorns on them. The reason they're there is because they're trying to keep everything else that wants to steal what little moisture it has. What, what green shrubberies that are there are usually tough and leathery and dried and stunted and all of that. That's a picture of our soul. 
When you and I trust the things in this world other than God, that part of our life dries up. And when that becomes a character of our life, we begin to be a little prickly, to be honest with you. We begin to be a little leathery. We begin to be a little tough. And we're not nourished. And we're not really enjoying life in the middle of that. Instead, what the Bible tells us is that we are blessed when we trust God. You see, when we trust God, it goes on to say that we are like the tree in verse 8 that are planted by water, that sends its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. Why? Because it's planted next to a river. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. True honesty. All of us that have struggled over this last couple of years or just things that are going on in our life, that's natural. It's a part of life. We're going to walk through that. It's life, we would say, in a fallen world. We do not live in a perfect world. We all crave heaven. People that don't know Jesus crave heaven. They just don't always know it. We, we want that. We want that perfection. We want everything to work. We want that relationship. We want the removal of pain and death. That's what we crave. But what this verse is telling us is that when you and I end up in a funk, when you and I end up in that dry place spiritually, the issue isn't so much that the world around us is dry. The issue is, is whether or not we in our heart are trusting God. Because when we're trusting Him, we're just like that tree that's planted by a nice, cool brook that trout might swim through. And our leaves are wonderful. In fact, we're producing fruit. We are fruitful in the middle of a dry desert. And the difference is, is our proximity to that river. We go on forward. I wish we had time, but if you go a few more verses, I think it's verse 13, and Jeremiah comes back to that, that we are like that one who trusts God, that are planted by that water, because the Lord is a fountain of living water. You see, He's the one that replenishes our soul. It's a blessing to trust God. Because when the heat gets turned up in your life, and it comes in all kinds of forms, all kinds of ways, all kinds of struggles, whether it's relationships or our health, just everything that, that we struggle with is a, is a heat that comes down on us. And when we trust God in the middle of those things, and we have to work at that, that's a choice. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But the result is, is that we still flourish in our soul in the middle of difficulties, and we still remain green in a dry and an arid land. Second thing I want you to recognize this morning, not only the blessings of what it means to trust God, but I want us to look at the evidences, or what does that look like? You know, the Bible says in verse 8, when we're trusting God, that we see the fruit of that in our life. We, we're not anxious about that drought that comes. There's a fruitfulness to us that we're green, even in the, the difficult years that we do not fear, we're not afraid. You see, there, there's tangible results and fruit in our life. I'm amazed. I, I looked at this passage because it really talked about trust and I started drilling through it. I'm like, there's anxiety and fear again. How often do we bump into anxiety and fear and worry in Scripture? Because those are the things that we wrestle with. 
And what the Bible's telling us is that in that area of our life, as we trust God, that God begins to remove that anxiety and that fear. The issue isn't the problem out there. The issue is, is whether or not we're planted next to, to Jesus. The issue is, is what are we trusting in? There will always be things in your life that will make you afraid. There will always be things in your, your life that will make you anxious, that will make you worry. Always things in your life that could just be bigger than life kinds of issues. And those are the things that, that creep up in our soul that we worry and are afraid and, and have anxiety over. And we've talked enough about that in the past that most of you that are here that have heard that understand that. But what matters that we can do is not so much, we don't have control over circumstances and what other people are doing and what the things, the affairs that are going on in the world around us, the things we struggle with, the things we wish we could control that we can't. But what we do have control or have the ability to do is to trust God. And the evidence of that is that as we trust Him, that that begins to remove the fear and the worry, and the security and the calm begins to settle into our soul. The New Testament version of this is Philippians 4, you know. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and thanks, um, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You see, when we trust God in the middle of it, it's not that our circumstances change. The drought is still there. But instead, we're planted next to the water, planted next to Him, and it brings a flourishing to our soul. So whenever you and I, evidences of us trusting God are, is prayer. Can you pray without trusting God? You can. Sometimes our prayers are complaint sessions. We're more like the disgruntled employee or the client or whatever, and then we just want to fuss and vent and fume at God, and then we walk away. And thankfully, God handles all of that very well and probably treats you better than most of those people <laughs> that you and I have treated that way. That's not prayer. The prayer is, is when we do what I just said in Philippians, and we say, God, this is a really big thing. And folks, whether it's a first world problem thing, third world problem thing, it's a your thing, right? It's a thing that's a challenge to you. And you say, God, I need help. And I'm trusting you because I'm worried, I'm afraid, I'm facing all of this. I'm, I'm trusting you in that, God. You see, it's, it's something that we make a conscious choice to do. I sat down as I was thinking through this and just reflecting my life, and I said, God, where have I had to consciously trust you? And I mean, just in a matter of a few seconds, I don't know, maybe a minute or whatever, just several of these came to mind. So I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't thought about this, I would encourage you to go home, do whatever you need to do to remind yourself. Again, you can pull out your phone and text yourself if you're one of those people. Email yourself, write a little note, I don't know, tie a string around your finger, write it on your hand, whatever you need to do. But I would sometime today or tomorrow, by tomorrow morning, um, I would say, God, 
Where have I had to trust you? And I want you to reflect on those things. You see, when you're really trusting God, you kind of have this little breadcrumb trail through your life of key moments in your life where you had to make these choices. God brought to my mind when Susan and I were first married, didn't have children. She was working at a daycare to pay for us. We had just gotten married, moved here from Maine, living in uh, Schenectady's Mont Pleasant. I was going to seminary. I was a master's student getting a degree. I knew God wanted me to go to seminary and all of that. And as we talked through things, talking about kids and all of that, you know, both of us had college debt. And I'm like, we can't afford kids. What in the world? You know, this is insane and all of that. And as we talked that whole process and knowing that ultimately, you know, God's the one who creates life and how all that all works, every reason that I could think of of why we wouldn't boil down to one word, trust. Do I trust God enough or not? Do I really trust that he can take care of us or not? And out of that one decision, I realized if, my, if fear was my only reason for us not to do it, that was a pretty sorry, lame reason. That really wasn't very God-honoring. And so we ended that, what we were trying to do, and a year or so, I don't know, a little more than a year later, God obviously thought we were ready and that he could handle it. Maybe we weren't ready. He was ready. And he took care of us. Am I saying that it's right or wrong, all that? I'm not. Don't hear me. What I'm saying is unpacking for your life. You need to do this kind of thing. That was a key moment in our life. Are we going to trust God or not? Then when we realized we had our, our baby, our oldest daughter, Anna, who's now 29, that was 29 years ago, I remember sitting on the floor in the dining room. It was empty. The only thing that was in there was her little bassinet. And I realized I had never thought about what it means to be a parent. And all of a sudden, it's like, what in the world? Now I'm a dad, you know? At least when my wife had a vote in the deal, at least, you know, she, if I was going to mess her life up, at least she said I do. This little girl, like, she got stuck with me, you know? Like, I better get my act together on it. And I remember I read everything I could find in the Bible of what it talked about kids, and we were just kind of processing and figuring that out. And I remember in that, as Susan was working, I was going to school full-time and all of that. And we made the decision that for, for her and for our family situation, that it would be best for Susan not to go back to work. Sean, are you saying that I'm a bad person or we're a bad family because, you know, I work on that? No, hear me. <laughs> Talking about us. In the middle of that, in our life circumstance, we had moved eight hours from anybody that we knew. I knew a few people at seminary and a few people at a, little, at a little church that we were part of. We had very little support systems. My wife didn't have a degree where she could make decent money at a very quick time and all of that. And we said, you know what? I don't know what this future is going to look like, but if I have to stop school, what's best is, is I'll go to work. And by then, I was actually pastoring our church as well. And we'll figure it out. But we're going to... Trust God that He'll take care of us. And He has. Fast forward later on, and we, you know, then have seven or eight kids in our current home, and honestly, more home than I could handle, more than I could afford. And it's a it's a it's a nice home, but when we bought it, it just hit everything needed to be redone. Just to give you a snapshot, carpet should not carpet was in every room except the entryway. Carpet should never be in the bathroom. 
It should not be in the kitchen. Not when you have seven or eight little kids. Three of them are little boys, you know, and, and that's not even thumb out what the girls are doing, you know, just the whole, I just, the whole thing. It needed a new roof. I ended up ever placed it, this whole septic system. Just, it needed everything to be redone. Just it was more house than I could handle. And I, it probably took me 10 or 15 years to finally really give that to God. That was an area of my life I had, I had not had to learn how to trust God in. I was living in a parsonage before that. The church owned it. I didn't. You know, I paid the heat and lights, but I didn't have to maintain anything. I didn't even have to own a lawnmower for that matter. And I can remember driving around that lawnmower in that yard, and, and this was not a house. Backstory, this was not the house I chose. We couldn't find one to live in. God kind of said, here, this is your house. There's a whole other story to that. I won't back it up. Like, this was it. And I just remember, like, God, I, can't, I don't make enough money to take care of this. Like, what? What are we going to do? And I can remember even just finally like having to stop with all the maintenance things. Like, God, I cannot, I, I cannot maintain this. It's beyond what we financially can do. And I remember sitting in the den and looking out at the cars and kind of trying to do the math. Okay, this is what we need for vehicles. And God, I don't make enough money. Like, we're getting upside down with vehicles and house. And I just had to, frankly, stop looking at it and just say, okay, I guess we don't fix stuff or whatever. And God just takes care of it. And today, I don't know how, but most of that, most of it's gotten done. Most of it's only been done in the last two or three years. But it was a choice I had to make that was just killing me on the inside as a dad trying to take care of my family. And then God reminded me when COVID first hit, when it first hit, a couple of years ago when everything shut down and this, and just, you know, isolation. I remember sitting at the dinner table and in that same home now, and just my family around the table, I think there's probably eight or nine of us there, and just, we're going to be in this together, and God's going to take care of us. And I don't know what that looks like. You know, we didn't, none of us knew how deadly it wasn't, and we're all listening to the stories and, you know, and not able to meet. But it was a choice. God, we're going to be together. And I, if we end up getting it, then we're going to get it together. We're not separating and isolating all this craziness. We're stopping that for our family. I'm trusting you. And then when the vaccines came out, even after that, I'm, you know, and all the debate, are they awful and are they good? Are they this or that? And, you know, all of that stuff. And I made the choice to go ahead and get vaccinated. It's the first time I've ever, I think I've ever said that publicly because it never wanted us to say, are we this or that or anything. If you're not vaccinated, it's fine. I really don't care, to be honest with you. But I made the choice for their family because of this. And once I got past the ethics of it, and that's another conversation too, but I realized, God, if this messes me up a little bit, and, and by the way, whether you're for any medical procedures, there's always a percent factor that's bad for you. Always. I don't care. I don't care if you're going to the dentist to get a filling worked in. You can like get bacteria and die. Like There's always a risk factor. God, I trust you. But the reason I'm doing this, to be real honest with you guys, is because it was at a stage that I could not minister to our church family because so many of our church and other people want to know, are you vaccinated or not? But I chose to trust God with that. I say all that to say this. It genuinely is not me saying what you should or shouldn't do with kids and lifestyle and vaccinations or not. But you need to see a breadcrumb of trails in your life 
where you had to make a choice, and it's a conscious decision in your mind that you then in turn live out and obey and do based on that. And as a result, what comes in the place of it is all the emotion and feeling of security and hope. And you don't look back at it, and you don't worry about it, and you just, because you're trusting in God. That's the real issue. So in your life, the evidences that you should look for are those kinds of decisions in your life. If you look back and you don't see those, then I'm going to submit to you that you probably aren't trusting God enough in your life. Now maybe as you look back in your life, instead you see, you see maybe certain areas where you really struggle with anxieties and fears and worries. And, and, and that's natural part of life too. Some people naturally are drawn or naturally wrestle with that more than others. You actually need to see those as key moments that you need to more actively trust God and make that choice to trust Him to take care of you in the middle of that. So there's a blessing to trust God, a cursing when we don't. The evidence of it is when we live our life not frozen, not paralyzed, not stuck, but we trust God and we move forward into whatever we're looking at. We push through. In fact, the very things that we're afraid of, just like with that first one, like, how in the world can I take care of a kid? You know, we're, all of that money, the very thing we're afraid of is usually the thing we need to do. But the third thing I want to end with is, what are the obstacles to trusting God? I want you to notice what Jeremiah says in verse 9. The Bible says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. See, God searches us out. He's looking for what's on the inside of us, and He's looking for trust. He's looking for faith, but He searches the heart to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, when we trust Him, that's where that fruitfulness comes from, because He gives to that, and He searches our heart. But the problem that we have is our heart is deceitful. It lies to us above everything. We know that you have to be careful with strangers in the world around us. We know when you're buying a vehicle, you've got to be careful with who you buy it from. We know there are people that will lie to us and you know, are trying to take advantage of us. But you know what we don't know? is The Bible says is that our heart is more deceitful than all of those people. <laughs> the enemy, we've met the enemy, and the enemy is us. It's on the inside. In fact, it's desperately sick. It's, it's un incurably sick. It is a fatal disease is what the Bible is, means by this term. And so our hearts are what lets us down. That's why we struggle to trust God. We struggle. It's a, a huge obstacle for us because we, that sin is we just don't understand. We want all kinds of assurances and things, and God says you can't have that. And it's the sin in our heart that causes us issues and trouble. When you and I are struggling to trust God, be assured there's some things in our heart that God needs to reveal to us. And we need to ask Him to kind of dig that out, if you will. Treat it like a bad tooth that has a cavity. The dentist has got to go in and kind of pick and poke and all of that and dig that out. Or maybe a cancer has got to be cut out. Our, the rest of our life, after we know Jesus, He has to kind of put us on the operating table to kind of work through that stuff. And as He does, then we realize those things, those, that sin or whatever, that, that's preventing us from just simply 
trusting Him. That's from walking in fellowship and walking with Him and be able to walk with that hope and that knowledge. Sometimes that obstacle is not knowing enough. We don't know enough. We want to see it. It's like we're on a train, and that train's going 90 miles an hour. And we're looking at each other in the seat, like, do you know where we're going? I don't know where we're going. Do you know where we're going? I have no idea where this train's going. Where do you think we're going to head? I have no idea. Nobody wants to get on a train going 90 miles an hour and have no clue where they're going. Or at least you're not normal if you want that. that you either must be a really spontaneous person that just has thrill issues, but... I don't want to do that. I like to know where I'm going. I like to have a reason. You know, where are we going? When are we coming home? What are we going to do over there? What's up? What's... And God does not give that to us for our life. He says, sorry. When you surrendered your life to me, I printed out a plane ticket with your name on it, but there is no destination on it. You're not going to know everything that's happening in your life and what's going on. We want insurance. We want assurance and insurance for every area. And we have to consciously say, God, I don't know where this is going, but I trust you. I trust you. I actually wrestle with that one more now than all those other things because in the middle of COVID, two of my kids get married. How dare they just think they can live life on their own after 20 years, you know? What is up with that? My goodness. It just, our life, our world's changed. When you have lots of kids and you're busy investing in them and all of a sudden it's different, like, yeah, it's different. I don't know what my future looks like. I don't know how to operate in that world. I'm having to trust God. Some of you who have been down that road know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we trust God, we struggle to trust God because we know too much. We know too many things that can go wrong. If you're a med student, nursing student, whatever, medical student, forgive me. I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit. But most med, nursing kind of students, when they take like those immunology classes, did you know how sick you can get from this, you know, bug? And you got to wash your hand for 20 minutes and pure chlorine and clean everything off. Oh, my goodness. Don't have a cat because, oh, you know what that cat can give you and all of that. I'm just like, stop. Just stop. I've been licking dirt most of my life, and I'm <laughs> still okay. You know, you are too. You know too much. <laughs> you just like, chill, relax. You know, just because it can happen doesn't mean it will happen. Sometimes we know too much, and we live in a world today, guys, where we know a lot. And it's, my phone's over here, but it's sitting on our phones. In some ways, it's probably harder to trust God when you know stuff than when you're just ignorant and oh, clueless. You know, it's like a train wreck's going around. You're like, you know, you're like, oh, I don't know, I didn't see. Oh, okay, just clueless. You know too much. So, but you have to trust God. It's hard. Sometimes past failures, pain, trauma. Sometimes, folks, we go through some stuff and we're like, I don't ever want to go through that again. My wife, a little thing you probably don't know about my wife, she was, um, she grew up, her family lived right on a highway in Maine. And uh, I think it was speed limit there, I think it's 50 miles an hour, maybe 55 at the time. But in the first grade, she and her brother were crossing the highway. Their best friends lived across the highway. It's great to have best friends live close, but not when it's across a highway and it's 55 miles an hour. And uh, she got hit one day, first grade, got hit, flipped in the air, dad was on the roof, the whole nine yards, broke her leg and all of that. and. And um, I asked her for permission to tell this, so I don't tell many stories of my family. I'm not that dumb. I'll tell it to my kids, but not my wife. I don't know if they're knowing it. And 
And that messes with you in the first grade. And all of a sudden, the world's a very vulnerable place. Trauma in your body, but it's a trauma emotionally and relationally. And she would tell you, if you asked her, she struggled to be away from her mom for years after that. Struggled to do any like sleepovers, overnights, and it really wasn't until after she trusted Christ in college. Why? Trauma. Just trusting in that. Most people have trauma somewhere in their life, whether it's abuse, whether it's who knows what. And those are scary places to trust God. But God wants us to go there and He'll help us. But He, he, he wants us and He woos us, just like He worked in my wife and He can work that with you too. Last thing, actually I got, I don't know, I got one or two more and I got to finish this up, I know. Sometimes we struggle to trust God because we don't want to get hurt. Trusting God, I'm not naive, does not mean you're not going to get hurt. Look at Job. Jesus trusted his father and he ended up dying on the cross for our sins. Trusting God doesn't mean that you're not going to get hurt. doesn't mean that you're untouchable. doesn't mean that you're not going to experience pain and suffering and difficulty in this world. And sometimes we get into our minds, well, I only want to experience this much discomfort. I, I, I want to, this is the world I want to live in. And we draw boundaries of what we're willing to experience for our kids, what we're willing to experience for our own life, how far we're being willing to be pushed to being, you know, discomfort, inconvenienced, pain, suffer. And 99.9% .9 of the time, from what I can tell, God says, yeah, I know where you've drawn that line, and that's your boundary, that's not my boundary. And we get pushed beyond it. And it's uncomfortable. And what we're really doing when we tell God, God, I'm really only going to trust you if you just allow me to work in this area. Because we know, we're good Christians, we know that we have to be inconvenienced. We know we're going to suffer pain. So we're willing to suffer a little pain. But in my experience, God says, no, nah, i got some harder things that are going to end up coming your way. And what we're really doing is we're kind of putting God on a leash and saying, God, you're not allowed to work in my, my life beyond this. And so we really do have to step back and say, God... I'm going to trust you with whatever. I really did give you a blank check when I surrendered my life to you that whatever comes, I'm going to trust you. And even when it hurts and even when it's bad and even when it's difficult and all of that. And sometimes we struggle to trust God because we just have created artificial boundaries that's our making and that are not His. And the last one helps us actually get trust as well as an obstacle to trust. But when you're not spending time with God reading His Word... You're not trusting Him. You're not. You, you can't. It's an impossibility to live that way. You're disconnecting your heart and your life from Him speaking into it. You're not going to Him for wisdom. He's not able to just check in into your life and your world. It's also the key step for us to begin trusting God is to go back to His Word. God, I'm in a mess. Help me. And sometimes, and it's for my life and yours, he's sitting there like, well, it's about time. I've been kind of wondering how long you're going to come. It's almost like he's keeping office hours and keeping the light on, just waiting for us to come back. But you've got to get in God's Word regularly and be there and stay there if you're going to trust God. So folks, I don't know how this is hitting home with you, but when we struggle and go through these kinds of seasons in life, it's normal as a part of human life. But God wants us to be 
increasingly that bush and that tree that's even in the middle of a messed up, difficult world, even in a world that you have, have trauma and things in your past, but He wants to walk with us and bless us and to teach us that even when we have pain and even when we have past trauma that we're still processing, to be able as a part of that healing and solution to say, God, as painful as that was, I trust you now for what happened then. And God, I trust you whatever the future is going to be and what, what will be. But I trust you. Folks, I think God wants us as His people to trust Him. Trust Him. And everything practical in your life, everything spiritual, we kind of make faith and trust like this religious thing, and it is, but it's a lifestyle thing. It's a life thing that He wants for us. So for some of you, your first step really and is really a step of faith, not just trust, but committing to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior of your life, surrendering to Him, that He died on the cross for your sins. Others of you made that commitment long ago, and you've got some things in your life that's probably come into your mind that God's knocked on the door of your heart, and you need to make a choice. God... As scary as this is, I trust you. I accept whatever's going on in my life. I trust you. But whatever you are, wherever, whatever God's dealing with in your heart this morning, as our team comes up, we're going to sing this last song, respond to Him. If He's spoken to you, talk, talk back. Don't talk back to Him. Talk, talk to Him. Respond to what He's saying to you. So pray with me. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his love, his grace. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that you are a God that we can trust. Lord, as I thought through this, I can't think of a single time in the Bible that you are untrustworthy. And instead, just time and time and time and time again, when things looked impossible, when things were at risk, you showed up. And you took care of those who trusted you. Lord, in my life, you have never let me down. I certainly have let you down and struggle with these things, even my own heart, as we all do. But Father, we as a church this morning, as best I know how as a pastor, we trust you. You are in charge of our life. You're in charge of all of it, Lord. So forgive us where we've doubted you. Forgive us where we've turned our heart toward other things. And even when we need to trust a plumber to come fix our plumbing or a doctor to give us wisdom, Lord, we trust you that you're the one that put the plumber there and you're the one that gave the doctor the help. And Lord, when there are no answers through those individuals, we trust you then too. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.